I'm Sammy Kennedy Sim, three-time Aussie Winter Olympian, and you're watching Sports Legends with Bevo. And a big shout out to one of our supporters, Luke and Peter Page from Peter Page Hyundai. If you're looking for a new car, head on down there, tell them Bevo sent you, and they'll give you an amazing deal. Well, the one and only flag bearer from this year's closing ceremony at the Winter Olympic Games, Sammy Kennedy Sim, welcome to Sports Legends with Bevo. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I'm not there in person, but you'll have to deal with me virtually from Jindaban. Yeah, so we look forward to, to chatting in person one of these days, as we spoke about before. We'll, we'll get to your career now, Sammy, because as I just mentioned, you did something really exciting this year. You were, you were named as the Australian flag bearer for the closing ceremony. Did Australia proud. It's so fantastic and so well deserved. You've had some challenges throughout your life, though. At 24, you had a stroke and and to your credit, you've gone and had an amazing career. And we'll speak about that in terms of your retirement a bit later on because you recently pulled the pin. Tell us about the challenges that you've had throughout your life um, with that stroke and how you've overcome those challenges and, and being a flag bearer, what it was like and, and the nerves as well. But it gets to our very first segment, which is called When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Gets Winning. Well, let's get to that fun bit first. The fun bit is, yes, like I was asked to be the closing ceremony flag bearer at the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympic Games. And that was such an amazing honour for me. It was a shame in that like most of our team had already had to leave Beijing. So with the COVID rules, you could only stay in the village around 48 hours post your event and then you had to leave. So there was only about 10 of us left in the village um, by the time the closing ceremony came around. So whilst I didn't get to walk my whole team out, I got to represent those that couldn't be there. And that was really a cool experience. And what they don't tell you is how heavy the flag is. <laughs> <laughs> and no one tells you how to bloody wave it. So I was there doing all of the press. And someone said to me, try a figure eight. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh this is how you do it. It's actually quite difficult to do. So. It was just such a funny experience and really did cap off like my, my whole Olympic experience here in Beijing or there in Beijing, not there anymore. I think a lot of people were hoping that maybe it would, I would announce my retirement then, but I had four more World Cups to go in the season. So I was sort of like, look, I'm not thinking about that now. I've got, uh, you know, four more World Cups to go before I head back to Australia in about six weeks. So I'm going to focus on that. That obviously didn't pan out because Russia decided to invade the Ukraine whilst I was in Russia. It meant that I decided to come home early. I decided, you know what, this has been so stressful with COVID and everything else. I think I just need to be closer to my people. So I came home a bit early. But yeah, in your segue question, yeah, I was the, I was the victim of a, of a small stroke just prior to my first Winter Olympic Games in Sochi 2014. So I'd come home from overseas from our World Cup competition in April and I had a niggle in my knee. I had a bit of a tear in my meniscus and decided that we would operate as normal physio intervention wasn't really doing the trick. So I didn't have a chance to repair that. I ended up actually having that part of my cartilage removed, which they don't really do anymore now, I've heard. But back then it was kind of like, get rid of it, get back on track because the games are in nine months. I was given, you know, a lot of guidance around what my rehab would look like. It was going to be really quick. Like I didn't even need crutches out of surgery. But I wasn't given any blood thinners post-surgery and I was on the contraceptive pill and that meant that I had a history and predisposition to having a blood clot and that was how I had my scary encounter with stroke. 
and stroke was something that I only ever associated with older people and people who weren't necessarily fit and healthy and not something that like an early 20 year you know, athlete who's off to an Olympic Games would have been exposed to. So it was quite frightening for me, for, especially for my family, probably worse for them. And yeah, it was, it was really strange to be going from one day I'm building up to an Olympics to the next day getting told like, you're never even going to drive a car again. You know, you you need to, like, it was basically like, here's a pamphlet on palliative care because that's what happens when you have a stroke. And I was like, Whoa. what the heck is going on? You know, it was so bizarre. At your age as well, 24, that's, yeah, that is scary stuff. And it's a credit to you that not only overcome that, but you did Australia so proud and had an amazing career that you should be so proud of, Sammy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think in life you, if anyone says that they've never had a hurdle, they're totally lying. You know, every day we are faced with challenges in how we act and conduct ourselves and it's how you respond in those moments that shape who you are. And for me, when I was in the, in bed in, in a hospital room in Canberra and I'd been questioned whether I was taking illicit substances because that would be the only reason why I'd have a blood clot, not that I was on the pill and not that I had a family history of clotting. I was made to feel be feel like I was really small you know, and, and I hated that. I hated being dictated to. I hated people who had no idea what my goals and aspirations were and no idea who I was, felt like they could have a say in how my future was going to be. So I, uh, being the eternally stubborn person that I am, <laughs> <laughs> I devised a plan with my medical team and we got the best information that we could. And I relocated to Sydney to be closer to my physical trainer and, and to be under the watchful eye of our medical team there. And I began my rehab, which, you know, I was paralyzed on the left-hand side of my body. And whilst my symptoms subsided quite quickly, the neurological effects of that episode, I still experience, you know, it's quite challenging. It's increased my anxiety because I'm hyper aware of what's going on in my body. And the thing that we found out about four years later was that I had this hole in my heart that most people are born with, but by the age of seven, they tend to close up. And we had no idea that I had this. So I'd been doing ski cross in this crazy, you know, high risk, you know, bump and grind kind of sport for four years post my stroke on blood thinners. Yet I was in a high risk, high concussion risk sport. And all of a sudden, my my family went and saw a cardiologist for someone else and said, by the way, our daughter's got this thing. And he said, what is she doing? Like, she's doing this sport. She should not be on any kind of blood thinner, even aspirin. She shouldn't be taking aspirin. Send her in to me when she gets home from the 2018 Olympics and I'll fix her up. And he did. And, uh, and, and what a story it's been. Uh, so tell us about your journey from, you know, being into skiing as a young girl and, and then how it, all, how it all came to be as an Australian champion. Because... Um, this next segment, Sammy, is called Where It All Began. Well, thankfully, I don't remember learning how to ski. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyone that asks me like, hey, we're going to bring our kids down. Like, you know, should we wait until they're eight? I'm like, nah, do it earlier. Like four or five, like get your kids on snow as early as possible because they're like sponges and they they learn and adapt so quickly that, yeah, the 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 traumatizing experience for some kids, especially when it's raining and it's cold and they're not having fun, 
you can kind of skip that if you take them down early. So that's my hot tip to you. Um, yeah, we came we came down to the Snowy Mountains with my family and just did like, you know, once a year a trip, whether it was for three days or a week or sometimes even two weeks if we were lucky. And my parents just really enjoyed the mountains and they loved the communities that surrounded the mountains. So it became for us what everyone else's rugby league or swim club came. We, and we joined a race club not only for the ability for my parents to be able to upskill us so that we could all go skiing, you know, all over the mountain altogether, but also because of that community. And they've, you know, continued to be part of the community here. They're now in a business up in Perisher and they're de- deeply embedded in the community here in the Snow Mountains. And, you know, so much that I've even moved back from the Northern Beaches to here. You know, I remember getting dropped off at Threadbow Land or at Perisher at the junior ski kids centers and doing like, you know, the little Milo bib kids that are skiing around and forming friendships with people through those experiences or through inter-school ski racing. And and I've still got those friendships today as a 30, almost 34 year old. So it's, it's lifelong. It's for me, skiing's for life. So, you know, you've just mentioned before that I'm retired or that I've retired and like, I, I haven't stopped skiing. I've just stopped racing at the World Cup level because this community is infectious and full of such amazing people. Oh, that's so cool. And uh, this year was your, your final winter of the Olympic Games in Beijing and you finished eighth in the freestyle skiing. Um, what sort of made you decide to, to pull the pin after you know, such an amazing career where you overcome all those challenges, Sammy? That takes us to our next segment, which is called What Were You Thinking? Because you've just mentioned before retiring. Part of it is that whilst my sport, which is ski cross, which is kind of like motocross, but on skis, not on a bike, whilst it's really, really exciting and it's really, really fun, it's also can be terrifying. You know, you're, you're traveling at speeds around sort of 80 kilometers an hour, sometimes over, over 100 kilometers an hour with three other people beside you in a course that's man-made with the nature changing the elements all the time, which we saw at the Olympics, you know, it snowed a lot. So it got slower. So the course got harder. I think I just decided that I I'm healthy. My body feels great. I've worked so hard to be on my injury prevention. I think for, for my sport that I want to continue to enjoy the other elements that the sport has to offer. I'll always love ski cross. And I think my inner competitor will, will always be a little bit disappointed that I decided to hang up the boots competitively. But a big part of my driver in being an athlete has been that community piece. So now I'm looking down the barrel of a, of a potential new career in sport where I can have massive effect and positive effect on people's sporting journeys, you know, from grassroots right up to high performers and Olympians. So that's really exciting to me. And, and, you know, I won't lie, like, you know, the athlete light's pretty pretty glamorous, but it comes at a cost, you know, like I'm not eligible for a credit card. I like, I, I'm, I'm a 34 year old that like may as well be 16 when it comes to financial security and things like that. So it's been a real hustle for me to be an athlete. And I think I'm a bit tired of the constant hustle. And, you know, if you get hurt, you don't get paid because you're not performing. So I think that was the biggest thing after my I had a big injury going into the Olympic season. I dislocated my elbow about a year and a half ago. And that was crazy. That was a really traumatizing injury for me. And it definitely was a factor coming into this. But ultimately, like I said, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here in Jindabyne. I'm overlooking the lake. I'm looking at the clouds rolling in. We've had the first snowfall this week. I can't wait to go skiing. Like I love skiing so much. So I also love the idea though that I might get a summer. 
haven't had one of those. <laughs> Just, you know, getting to know you uh, through chatting and, and what have you and, and seeing you on TV, you're an unbelievable role model, Sammy. So I think I could see you being like a, a really wonderful coach for, for young kids coming through the, the program. Is that something you'd look at potentially? Maybe. I think it'll be a while before I go down the coaching road purely because, you know, you have to travel just as much as you do when you're an athlete. <laughs> and, you know, I, I won't lie, like one day I'd like to have my own family and the idea of sort of setting roots down to me feels really nice to be in one spot. However, I'm sure if you ask me that in three months, I'll have itchy feet because I would have been, you know, in one spot for three months. Definitely around like sport development and, and high performance support for our athletes and also for our high performance staff, you know, our coaching staff that we have across all sports here in Australia, they are amazing and they deserve support too. So I look forward to, yeah, the next phase, whatever that may be, you know, in sport, I'm going to always stay involved in sport no matter what, but who knows, maybe I'll, uh, I'll hit up, you know, Barrett's for a commentating job at Milan Cortina. Hey, you'd be, you'd be great at that too. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned before that the glamorous lifestyle of being a Olympian, Obviously, throughout your time, you've, you've met some celebrities, uh, whether it be fellow Olympians, um, winter and summer Olympians and what have you. But our next segment is called Starstruck Celebrities. Which celebrity really left you starstruck and why? That was, it's such a hard one. Probably, it was probably Matt Shervington, which is so funny because he's, I consider him, you know, some level of a friend. We're not besties, but we're more than acquaintances now. Shervo used to get bought in and would do some track and field work with the winter sport team, you know, about eight or nine years ago. And, you know, I grew up watching athletics and loving sport. And I went to the Sydney 2000 Olympics and he was somebody to me, like athletes belonged on cereal boxes, you know, like they were the people that were championing products and they were famous and they were special. And Getting to work with him as an athlete and get to getting to know him was really, really a cool experience for me, especially now that I've kind of got over that, like, you know, blush of like, oh, it's Shervo, <laughs> my God, you know, now I don't feel like so that so much like that. Sorry, Shervo, you're a bit normal now. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was probably the biggest one that I can think of, especially in relation to my athletic career. I mean, look, I won't lie, like, I'd love to meet Kylie Minogue, just throwing it out there. <laughs> Oh, no, I like, I like it. Shervo is definitely a character and doing a wonderful job on TV as well. And uh, yeah, as, as a host and everything else that he's involved in. So yeah, good answer. Looking back at your career, obviously there's been highs and lows, but uh, we'll, we'll stick with the highlights for now. What particular moment of your career still really makes you smile when you look back at it and think, yeah, that was really fantastic. This next segment is called Still Makes Me Smile. I, I definitely have way more smiles than I have tears if I look back on, on my career. And not because there wasn't tears involved, but just because those positive moments always outweigh any negative ones. I think probably when I first started ski cross, I transitioned from alpine skiing into ski cross when I was about 19. And my coach now was the coach that I kind of managed to convince to come overseas with me and take me to hospital if something happened. And the relationship that we've formed over the years and and the bond that we have is really, really special and will always make me smile. You know, the, the funny thing about being a winter sport athlete is that you are an individual athlete competing for yourself against others, however you operate within a team environment. So in some ways, you know, we compete against the mogul team for funding and for results and all those things. But at the same time, 
you're absolutely celebrating the fact that your teammates are succeeding and it's a real art form and a real balance. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I will look back on, being able to go and train alongside our mogul team or the snowboard cross team when I was the only ski cross athlete to make sure that I had some sort of like socialization as an athlete and, and was able to push them and they could push me. Those relationships and those experiences of, of going through tough times is probably what I will remember the most. That and getting helicoptered from the bottom of a race to the top because we didn't have a chairlift that worked. That like they are two kind of different experiences, but definitely, yeah, obviously you can tell that the smile's there just <laughs> thinking about it. Well, actually, um, I, I'll tell you a bit of a funny story. Well, it wasn't funny at the time for my family, but um, we can share it now because I nearly killed myself. But um, I'm a bit always paranoid about chairlifts now because when I was a kid, uh, we were in, I think it was Buller or Hotham, and I actually didn't know um, what to do with getting off the chairlift. So I actually stayed on instead of getting off, and they had to turn the whole chairlift, like in the whole park, like the whole of the Mount Buller or Mount Hotham, I can't remember where, where it was, but completely turned it all off. Um, otherwise, I would have been killed and gone over this cliff. <laughs> so it was, yeah, pretty frightening for my family and everyone else at the time. But luckily, I was okay. So yeah, chairlifts for me don't go too well, Sammy. <laughs> don't worry. When I was when I was about eight or seven, seven, my sister and I we were living in Victoria at the time, and we were skiing out of Mount Buller. And my sister and I, who's nine years older than me, went for a ski, and I fell off Federation chair. <gasps> oh my goodness. Um, like what happened was there was a bunch of snow and my ski tips got caught as we got on the chair, got caught, and I just went off. <gasps> <Wowzers>. <laughs> and luckily it was fresh snow and I just like fell off. And I remember Naveena looking back at me being like, are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> covered in snow. Yeah, like I think there's funny stories like that all over the place. Even in New Zealand a few years ago, my teammates, old teammates, Scott Nella, Katia Kramer and I were getting on a chairlift and, you know, we're in New Zealand, we've got Australia all over our jackets, we had backpacks and two pairs of skis each, and we got on the chairlift and the same thing happened. Scott's tips got caught in fresh snow and he took the three of us off the chairlift oh, in no. front of an all-Kiwi crowd. Oh. And you're just like, you're like, they're like, oh, Aussies should learn how to ski. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, you have the best of times. So you're not alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the best of fun, but can be dangerous at times as well. But uh, at least at least we can laugh back, you know, and, and know we're actually okay. So <laughs> in terms of your career, which has been a stellar career as we've spoken about, what particular piece of advice you know, do you look back and think, oh, that was amazing advice? And, and who was that particular influence that, that gave you that advice of you, during your career? Our next segment, this one is called Words of Wisdom. The first thing that comes to mind is a quote that I've probably, and some of you listeners, if, listeners, if they've followed me before, would have heard me, heard me say this, and that is passion plus persistence equals performance. And that was written on the front of a training program that was faxed to me. That was how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> prior to my uh, one of my first overseas trips um, as about a 14-year-old. And the coach that put that on there was Darren Hobsher, who was my coach at the time. So he was training us out of uh, Jindabyne here and took a bunch of us overseas for some international competition and ski training. And what it showed to me was that, to me, that means that the, the journey of being a, a high performer, whether it's sport, whether it's art, music, drama, business, whatever, you know, there's no timeline on these things. So if I'd have thought that it took, it would take me two years to become an elite athlete, like I was totally wrong. 
But if I'm passionate about it and I continue to persist, I will eventually get the performances that I'm after. And whilst I never got those pinnacle results at an Olympics or a world championships, I did stand on the World Cup podium. I was a consistent contender on the World Cup stage. And for me, I think it really encapsulates like my whole career. And it's a message that I try to to put out there in the nicest way possible to people that, you know, just just keep going on your path and, and trust yourself and don't compare your journey to someone else's. You know, looking at kids, even like, Kids hit puberty at different times. The same thing is happening with sport. You know, in alpine skiing right now, there is a guy, he's my age, actually he's older, he's 37, and he just won his first World Cup and he's from Great Britain. So he's made history as this amazing World Cup skier in Great Britain and he's just reached this pinnacle milestone of winning a World Cup slalom event. And uh, he often gets kids to go back onto his profile. You can look online at, at your results as an athlete. And he's like, you know, he'll get a message from a kid that's like, oh, I'm 17. Like, I think I'm going to quit. I'm not going to make it. And he's like, go back to when I was 17 and tell me what my results were and what my points were. And the kids go back and they're like, oh, you were pretty rubbish. And he's like, yeah, but I loved it. And I kept working on it. And here I am. I'm still doing it today. So it's kind of like that that message that it, it can take a year, it can take 10 years. But, you know, if you're passionate about it and you persist with that, like you will find some level of performance. And yeah, I just love it. Hey, I can relate to that with my own podcast, Sammy, because if someone told me, you know, back in April 2018 that I'd be interviewing a flag bearer from the 2022 Winter Olympics, I'd be like, you've got to be joking. So, yeah, no. No, I can totally vouch for that from a podcasting perspective as well. Yeah, you just got to keep on trying and keep on going. So, no, that's really good advice. Hey, to finish with, I love hearing the stories about the Olympic Village and we've heard all sorts of stories throughout the last you know, a few years I've been involved with this and from water balloon fights to leaving G-strings on, on balconies and Rachel Spawn told me about and all sorts of funny things. This next segment is called Olympic Surprises. Any sort of funny stories that happened throughout your career in the Olympic Village you're, you're allowed to share? <laughs> yeah, I think um, obviously like Beijing, everything was pretty tame because we were pretty internalised. Like there wasn't a lot of hanging out with people. I mean, by the time I got to the village, like 95% of the Olympic team had left. (laughs) So it was a bit of a different experience this time around. However, in 2018, and I know that these, that everyone won't mind me sharing this, it's pretty funny. We had the closing ceremony and then we're encouraged by the Australian Olympic team staff instead of going out to like a big party or a pub or a lot of countries have like Austria house and Canada house and stuff. They were like, you know, feel free to go back to our athlete HQ and we've got some drinks there. Let's just hang out as a team. And so we did. And things got pretty rowdy to the point where the cross country boys were wearing bobsled suits with Danielle Scott's tradie underwear on the outside. It was the funniest experience ever because for the first time, once the competition was over, everybody could come together and actually like just let their hair down and get to know each other properly. It was just so much fun to mingle with everybody and share our experiences and like watching these boys try and fit like, you know, those bobsled boys in Pyeongchang, they're big boys and cross country guys are lean machines. So it was so funny watching these guys (laughs) rocking around in, in what should be tight suits that were really baggy. And like, then yeah, someone found Danny's washing and and even Danny was putting it on. Like it was just so much fun. Um, And it was a great way for us to all get to know each other. Um, But other than that, like, you know, I've heard, I grew up hearing all those stories of like, you know, yeah, there's a bowl of condoms at every entryway. And 
I mean, for me, I've always arrived into the Olympic Village like late, sort of like with four or five days to go. So a lot of that craziness tends to happen in the first week because then in the second week, everyone's just focusing on competition because the other people have already left. So it's been an, a different experience for me, but certainly going and, and uh, you know, partying with friends, probably actually there's one good story I will finish with, which is in Sochi at my first Olympics, one of my best friends won the gold medal for him in my event, which is Marielle Thompson from Canada. And every night, <laughs> this is so embarrassing, every night, we would catch the gondola from the Olympic Village down to Rosa Couture, which is like the the town where like my parents were staying and like where some um, officials and VIPs would stay, things like that at the base of the village. And there was a McDonald's there. And most Olympic villages have McDonald's in them, but we didn't have one in Sochi. And so we would go every night at eight o'clock, we would get the gondola down. You'd go, you'd get a McFlurry. (laughs) You'd go, you'd have to put your McFlurry through the x-ray machine. (laughs) to make sure that you weren't hiding anything in it. Then we'd eat our McFlurries on the gondola on the way back up and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a dag. I love that story. <laughs> and, I, I, and you can't tell me that it didn't help performance because she won the gold medal. Oh, exactly. So, there you go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when you, when you guys compete and spend hours and hours competing and, and burn up so much energy... Let's be honest, McFlurry is not going to do much anyway, not going to affect you, is it? So, <laughs> No, it's the, it's the when you retire and you don't exercise nearly as much. I want to say I'm probably exercising a quarter of what I, or not, probably even less than a quarter of what I was as a full-time athlete, but three months ago. They don't tell you that your appetite sticks around and that it's actually quite difficult to justify that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. hence, the, hence the Sammy's now playing league tag on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> which is even more crazier than freestyle skiing actually probably nah. on par so <laughs> no nah, honestly it's league tag so it's not it's not contact however i played my first game on the weekend and those bloody tags are so hard to get that i sat there looking at the girls i was like we should have just played rugby league it would have been way easier to just tackle all these chicks <laughs> like this is brutal Hey, you're not, you're still, you're still only 34. So you never know, Sammy. (laughs) I think those days are done. Hey, what a pleasure it's been having you today on Sports Legends of Bebo. Thanks for sharing your journey. And once again, congratulations on an amazing career. All the very best going forward and, and look forward to hopefully getting to meet you in person and doing this in the studio one day. Absolutely. Can't wait. I'll uh, hold you to that. Done deal. We'll have a, have a nice Adelaide Red together. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. Take care, Sammy. We'll speak again soon. Mm-hmm.